This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Good afternoon, everyone. Before I introduce Erin Kasper, I'd just like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians on the land in which we meet today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. My name's Natasha Gadd, and I'm a documentary director and editor, and also been, I have been working um, with the AIDC this year as the event and partnerships manager. Welcome to The Art of Cutting It Fine, which I think you would probably agree is a very apt title for <laughs> us today, um, doing our final little bits of prep this afternoon, a couple of hours ago. Erin um, is an Emmy-nominated documentary editor and she has edited feature documentaries for broadcast and theatrical release, which have toured international festivals and received countless nominations and awards, including Emmy nominations, a Sundance Jury Prize and AFI Docs Grand Jury Prize. She's also edited short, episodic non-fiction for the New York Times and the Field of Vision and Vanity Fair. So today Erin is going to share with us some of uh, her creative processes. She will be talking about how she crafts character and story and um, her experience in working with editing teams as well as sharing some um, pointers and in terms of how she approaches her edits. Welcome Erin. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's been such a pleasure having you here for the duration of the conference and right. we've been catching up every now and again to talk about th this um, session in particular but just sharing um, our thoughts and, and insights into crafting um, documentary through the editing process. Uh, just sort of what, a, a general observation about your work that many of your characters um, seem to have they're often maligned or, or marginalised um, and whether that be the Romani students in our school or the African-American um, students in American Promise who are, you know, going through a very white um, education system or uh, Julian Assange in Risk. Um, and it's interesting, one of my key observations is, um, I'm sure you are familiar with the work of um, of the Maisel's brothers um, and Charlotte Zwerin and the way that she interweaves uh, very personal stories um, with a much broader uh, landscape to kind of reveal some of the political, socio-political um, uh, elements at play and I think it's a really delicate balance and I, and I see this a lot with, with your work um, and I'm interested in where you started. So... This, when you first told me this, I couldn't believe this, that you started editing documentaries that were in foreign languages without subtitled rushes. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of this like totally circuitous and unexpected route for me. I, I, didn't, I don't reliably speak other languages. And so um, for about the first six years, both as an editor and as, even as an assistant, um, it just so happened that every film I was working on was a foreign language film. And when it came to working on Our School, which was the first film that I edited as 
uh, that it was an editor on. Um, that was a film that was in Romanian, and I was actually initially going to be the assistant editor on that film. And um, the editor of, of that film, or who the editor who was going to be the editor of that film, is a person named Jonathan Oppenheim, and he was a mentor of mine. And so I came on ahead of him, and I was prepping the the film for him and I was logging all of the footage and because I was ahead of him I was watching all of the footage without translation and I was just writing down everything that happened and because I was logging it I had I you know wasn't fast forwarding it or, or anything like that and I ended up with a very thick binder <laughs> and um and then it turned out that Jonathan was unable, unable to edit the film, and not too long after I was, I was working on it, we were invited, the director was invited to a lab, an edit lab, and she needed an editing fellow, and Jonathan wasn't available because he was actually going to be at that lab with a different film, and so I was kind of thrown into the hot seat. So I had to start editing, just in general, and also editing this film, and what my experience was, um, what I figured out very quickly was that I had this backlog, log, backlog of experience with all of these characters and had time, this luxury of time to really kind of soak in, you know, my impressions of them and get a feel for them, even though I had no idea what they were saying. And, and you know, having that experience sort of cut off kind of a, a, a sense for me, you know, it's like things in a way kind of play like a silent film, you know? And so it actually made me lean in closer uh, to study them and to study the people in the film and get a feel for them. And, you know, and, and, and then, you know, obviously I started editing with translations. There's just no way I could do it without it. But, but what it taught me and what it did was it, it created this foundational experience for me where everything for me kind of comes down to behavior, you know, like an expression, you know, which I think is just so universal. Should we take a look at our school? Yeah. Um, and maybe you can just, for those who haven't seen it, just give us a little bit of an sure. intro into the film itself. Sure. The film Our School is a film about an integration experiment that takes place in Transylvania, the Transylvania region in Romania. And um, it follows three kids over a period of four years. And the school, and the, the, the kids are taken out of their one room, you know, little segregated school. And they're, you know, in this, the area that they live in, which is also a segregated hamlet, basically. It's just all Roma, gypsy families who live there. Um, and they're put into the mainstream Romanian school in the center of town. And so I'm sure you're all probably wondering as I am, um, how, I, ha, how do you go about understanding um, what might be happening when you're looking at the Russians when you can't understand mm -hmm. the language? It's like you've got this heightened sense, this sort of sixth sense that um, is really interesting in terms of how you navigate um, facial expression and, and behaviour. But maybe take us through like when you first saw the rushes for some of the footage in that scene and what it, what, how it spoke to you before you actually got the translation. Oh, yeah. Um, this was some of the first stuff that I, that I looked at, actually. This was one of their earliest shooting days. And um, the mayor, you know, to me, just stood out immediately. He's such a dynamic character. And the just 
he just seemed to me like, you know, somebody who, just the body language just was all over the place for me. It was, it was incredible. And for the mayor in particular, he just seemed like somebody to me who was desperate to be in control of this situation. And, um, and you know, as the, you know, the ordeal went on, you know, it was clear that he was kind of under the impression that he was, you know, here to present to the film crew and that, you know, they would film, you know, his presentation and he was very proud of that. And he had this kind of like, halting voice his tone of voice stood out to me as well he's sort of yelling at everybody and pointing and ordering everyone around but then like as a reaction you know people are sort of you know kind of you know doing this a lot to him and you know and, and it's laughing. a lot of bravado yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but then he's also kind of you know taking it, it in or taking it in stride as well um which really you know kind of made me wonder about you know, just what race relations are like in this town, you know, that, you know, is this, a, this seems like a place where it's a really small town. They clearly have some, you know, history and, and relationship. And, you know, in the middle of the scene when the woman is, is challenging him about water, you know, and he's like, oh, you know, I, I spoil you. And, you know, and, and you know, she kind of laughs, you know, even though he's telling her these terrible things, you know, so it's just this incredible back and forth. And so, you know, it's just such a wonderful discovery, you know, <laughs> to well, not that calling psychic, each other out almost. You yeah. Can tell. Like there's a bit of, you know, we provided you with the faucet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you knew this, so don't yeah. don't put it all on me. No, no, right. And and you know, and obviously just this tremendous emphasis on on washing up and washing up and then like, you know, what is that? And you know, nothing. There was really nothing like, do you have your school supplies? You know, do you have what kind of support do you have? No, no, no. It's like, please come to school clean. And, you know, and then I think it just was clear that it was spiraling out of control for the mayor when, you know, when it was you know, you see that camera pan, you know, when the woman's like, we don't actually have any water to wash like you want us to. And so those are like little, you know, both the car pulling up in the beginning where he's, you know, you know, ordering people in the car around and, you know, saying terrible things to them. And then both that pan are just these like little sort of artifacts that I kept in to, you know, kind of inform that woman smiled, but to inform, you know, the audience that, you know, there's like a sort of a deeply rooted relationship between, you know, the mayor and this community and, you know, just both the, you know, majority white, you know, Romanian community at large too. That And that, you know, will sort of um, continue to unfold throughout the rest of the film. Mm. Um, just before we continue, I want to ask you about uh, um, your film American Promise. We have lost our iPad, so we won't be taking questions via the app um, at the end of this session. So I don't want you to waste your time filling it out on the app, but we will be passing a microphone around so you can ask questions then. Um, American Promise. This is another one with some like stats that made my jaw <laughs> drop. Um, filmed over 13 years. Mm -hmm. uh, a film following two young African-American um, kids and who are navigating through this uh, very white school system, as I mentioned before, um, whose parents, one of the boys' parents also happens to be the directors of the film. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, 13 years? What, the parents are the directors and their son's a subject? This is just, you know, a really hard landscape to navigate for an editor. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sort of interested in hearing about your process in terms of a film that big with that 
I don't how many hours of rushes did you have? It depends who you ask. I want it's between six and eight hundred hours. Yeah. yeah. Something so like that. Where do you start? Um, and yeah. I think we should – I'm trying to I'm trying to work out whether we should show the clip first or just maybe just um, tell us a little bit about the, the, the beginnings of it and then we yeah. can throw the clip. Yeah. I, I was really excited about this one because it was finally my first English language film and then, you know, all of these other uh, – complications or just you know considerations sort of ensued and and you know like you said just a massive amount of footage shot over a long period of time following you know two families you know um you know sort of between four to like you know six people in each family so a lot of characters um the complication of having both of you know both directors be in the film but not only be in the film but also be the parents of you know, one of the kids and, you know, sort of, you know, the people who are sort of responsible for the decisions and, you know, the things that happen in their kids' lives, including getting into this elite, very elite, uh, predominantly white uh, prep school in Manhattan. Um, And then, you know, and then on top of that, you know, for me, so I, I don't know, it was a lot. And then, and then we also had three editors. So it was myself and then two other editors, um, Mary Manhart and Andrew Seawoff. And, you know, we were also, you know, coming at this from different life experiences. Mary had kids and, you know, she's a very senior editor. Um, I don't have kids and I, you know, like middle of my career. And then Andrew was just out of college and at the beginning of his career, and I remember watching um, some footage of one of of a college visit when we all first started, and uh, and um, Idris, uh, uh, the director's son, is named Idris, uh, is going on his college visit, and he's at this really great, you know, um, liberal arts college in Connecticut and there's like some footage of some kids banging on a little drum or something, and I remember Mary, the senior editor, going oh, you know, this is going to be, oh, that's such a waste of time, you know, like what a waste of money to send your kid to a college where they bang on drums on the quad. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that reminds me of college, how fun. And Andrew was like, oh God, been there, done that, you know, <laughs> just got over that. And we were like, wow, you know, this is going to be really interesting because we're three different editors who have very different life experiences right now and perspectives on this footage. And we're tasked with having to, you know, um, make this film together and make it feel like it's coming from one person. And then, you know, on top of that, for me, there was um, this, I guess, to be really honest, like a a deep discomfort because I was coming from this experience of working on films where the subjects, the characters lived halfway around the world. I might meet them, I might not. But, you know, they're very, they're very close to me in a very one-way relationship. I went from that to working in the characters' basement. We were cutting in, in, in Joe and Michelle, the directors, in their basement, and their kids were there. And somebody would walk in sometimes into the edit room, and <clears throat> I'd be watching a very intimate interview with someone where, you know, they're really kind of talking in depth about their thoughts and feelings on something. And, you know, I would turn around and I would want to cover my computer screen because, you know, it meant that I was thinking about them, you know, and it just was like, just weird, like 
you know, wall shattered for me. And it was just, it was very, very strange. Um, but I'll what, talk more about that. Later. Watching yeah. rushes anyway can feel like a really voyeuristic experience. If yeah. you haven't been on set and you haven't been filming with those characters and suddenly you've got this yeah. privileged position of watching um, people go about their business and becoming so familiar with their expressions and their mannerisms and their, their features in a way more familiar than they would themselves. Oh, for sure. And it's a really strange dynamic, but particularly when yeah. those subjects are looking around the background, <laughs> looking at your screen. Of course. I mean, and we were, we were, we were absorbing their, you know, we, we were going through just these years and years of footage and, you know, you have to think like, you know, you do something and you completely forget, you know, what you said or, you know, what you did. And then you have three, a committee of three people, you know, who are quoting you back to you all the time. And do you remember the time that you did this? And, you know, and, oh, maybe we should cut a scene about the time that this happened in your life, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it was very strange overall, you know, all around, but I mean, we, we, you know, well, we can talk about that later, but I mean, yeah. Let's show the clip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so should I set up? Uh, so this is a clip yes. where uh, Idris is uh, Joan Michelle's son. He, they're the main family in the film. And Idris is in um, middle school. I don't know if, if but, you know, around eight, 13 years mm -hmm. old. And um, which is obviously a really awkward time for everybody. But he's uh, kind of coming. He comes home and he talks to his parents about uh, fitting in. I would like to know more about the relationship between them as directors and them as parents, because I imagine that would be a really big tension for them that would play out, but that, that would also somehow have to mm -hmm. sort of seep into the edit room in the sense of them trying to protect their son's representation in the film. Mm -hmm. um, but they're also trying to make a great, documentary and oh. I imagine there's a tension there yeah and that was that was something that um, people asked about a lot was you know and even in the making of you know I, I can't believe they you know um filmed their son for for 13 years and um and of course because the film I think kind of gives the impression that the camera was there all the time but really I think they worked out the math once and I think for the amount that they filmed, it averaged maybe a couple shooting days a month or, or less, you know. Um, and everybody in the film, you know, really kind of just gave their consent year by year, you know. And 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 they were very protective. And, and I think for us editors, we were too. I mean, for, for you know, of, of the kids especially because, you know... Um, you know, they're just so young and, and, you know, this is, this is a, an enormous, it was an enormous responsibility that we took, um, quite personally because, you know, they have to sort of live with these sort of shaped memories for the rest of their life. So, I mean, it wasn't just that the parents were managing this, you know, protection of, of their son, but it was also us, you know, and we were on board and, and to, to Joe and Michelle's credit, when, when we first started I remember she Michelle came to me and she said you know um I don't I don't want you to feel like when you're watching the film because I think she sensed my hesitation about like you know wow this is really personal and I feel like really I'm having a hard time you know talking to you as a collaborator about your very personal experience and she said you know and I I give I give them tremendous credit for this she said you know I don't want you to hold back 
and maybe there will be a time toward the end or, you know, later on when, you know, when we do shape, you know, and when we do pull back and, and, and of course, just by necessity and by sheer volume mm. of material, you know, that, that happened. But I mean, I think that it was, um, it was, you know, very, it was a process where I think we all just were very mindful that, you know, we wanted, you know, we wanted to protect the characters, we wanted to protect the family, but especially the kids for sure. And I think there are, a, there are quite a lot of scenes in which um, she, you know, her, her desire to, to see Idris succeed can co- make her come across as a very pushy, overbearing, mm-hmm. um, meddling kind of mother at times. So she de- definitely doesn't, um, you know, she, she hasn't influenced the edit in, in that way and I think that's a credit to everyone how you navigated that. Um, I think you were telling me that at one point she came into the edit suite and she was looking at the cards on the wall. Can oh, you tell? yeah. We, we did manage to sort of find something that worked for for all of us, I think, to Because, you know, we were talking before about, you know, there was, for us editors, you know, we kind of developed a shorthand on, in scenes and things like that. And so sometimes Joe and Michelle, you know, would come in and look at a We, you know, put wrote down on index cards, you know, names of scenes and we'd put them on the wall. And, you know, so we'd be talking about something and Joan Michelle would go, you know, what, what is, you know, such and such. And we're like, oh, it's, you know, the time when, you know, you did this. And, um, anyway, but we did find something that, that worked for us where, uh, and it happened really organically. I was sitting next to Michelle after watch, after a, you know, rough cut screening that we all had just in our interior office. And, um, and, you know, I remember we were looking at the cards on the wall and we were trying to figure out the structure problem. And, um, Michelle said something, she goes, Oh no, no, that, that, that can't come first. Uh, because Idris's mother has to explain, you know, da, 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 da. So we should actually put her, her scene, you know, two cards before and nobody blinked an eye, but I remember looking at her like, Oh my God, you just referred to yourself in the third person. And I was like, that works, you know, <laughs> she's got a director's hat on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that that put a level of remove between, you know, certainly them as parents and them as directors and for us as, you know, uh, you know, in our editor director relationship. And I think that that, you know, it just happens sort of, you know, organically like that. And it was, it was very helpful moving forward. The, just, um, Aaron and I keep having like conversations where we get very drilled down technical and then talk about you know sort of bigger picture creative um creative uh issues but I'm just interested if there are any editors in the audience if you can put oh there's a few a good bunch do you want to talk a bit more about process of how you navigate how many hours did we say between 600 and 800 something like that yeah yeah Talk yes. about that. Sure. The edit room, um, the team. Yeah. How did you deal with that from the, with the starting point being that many yeah. rushes? Yeah. We so the three of us basically came in at the same time, and we came in um, when Joe and Michelle were uh, considering a new direction for the film. The film prior, you know, or what had been edited, not for a very long period of time, um, off and on just for different samples and for fundraising and et cetera, was a more interview heavy, 
film with, you know, footage sort of overlaid on top of it. Um, and a previous version of the scene that I showed was that, where very key scenes, it wasn't actually a conversation between Joe and Mich Michelle and Idris. It was just sort of Idris sort of narrating, actually, with him getting ready for these parties. Um, so us three editors were brought in at the same time, um, and, and the direction was to, you know, to make a verite observational film. And so we, we, you know, we divided it up. We knew that we wouldn't be able to watch all of the dailies at the same time, you know, just individually, it would just, would have taken too long. Um, and so what we did was we divided it up by school year. So, you know, and so one editor took a chunk of early school years, kindergarten through third grade or fourth grade or something like that. And then the next editor took a chunk in the middle of the school years, about fourth grade through eighth grade. And then because by the time the uh, families, bo the both boys got to high school, there was just more shooting overall because they just were people, you know, who had lives and everything. So there's more shooting. We ended, we divvied up each year of high school as well. Um, and then so each of us watched our individual chunks of time and then we edited um just very loosely anything that we you know everything that we thought was a scene you know and so we were basically sort of distilling it for each other um I mean just everything from that to a sick day you know someone stays home from school like just so we would have a ultimately have a blueprint so then that way we could all sort of more or less be on the same page um and we strung all of those scenes together in this massive assembly, which was 32 hours long. And we watched we watched that with Joe and Michelle for over a period of a week. Yuck. That was our starting point. Awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then from there, we lost about 12 hours immediately. We're just like, we don't need that six-minute scene of Idris eating soup and, you know, just <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and then after that, because it was just, you know, such a huge number of characters, we, uh, we just, you know, we broke out all of the scenes that were left into individual character arcs, basically revolving around, you know, each uh, young boy. So Idris's family, Idris is the boy in the film he had one arc so all of his scenes strung together chronologically and then the other boy Shan who wasn't in this scene um and his family was in a separate arc and so we watched it again but both of those arcs separately again they were I think one was like seven hours at least and then the other one was like somewhere around five or six or or more I, I forget um and then, and then only then could we kind of start really talking about structuring and kind of weaving the stories together. Um, but I think there was another big cut after those those arcs. But that really informed, just kind of helped us see what some of our landing points were going to be for, you know, each family, and then where the, both boys' families uh, intersected and diverged. You know, so that was that was very key for us. Um, and I think a big question for us was, you know, are we going to need three editors the whole time? And the answer is yes, um, because we edited the film in about 10 months. And throughout this time, we were we when we were cutting, we would always sort of like break 
up cuts, you know, a section goes to the senator, section goes to the senator, and, you know, so on. And, um, and sometimes we would work on sections, you know, for a long time, you know, so it wouldn't be like we were constantly rotating, but we would switch work actually, which required us, us editors to be in communication with each other all the time, you know? And because like I was saying earlier, there was, um, you know, certainly I think for each of us affinities for certain things and, um, and, uh, you know, different approaches and cutting styles, we always had to be on the same page. And so we would always carefully go through and kind of negotiate in some ways or even horse trade, you know, like, okay, we'll keep that line if we can, you know, get this out or can we sneak that back in? Okay. You know, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, in, in a way you kind of had to check your ego a little bit because somebody is inevitably going to be working on what you worked on. And, um, but we also had a lot of, we developed a lot of trust for each other mm-hmm. because, you know, to honor each other's work and not just, you know, Unpick do it the everything way. they'd just done. Exactly. Because <laughs> it just would have been, you know, just not productive. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, just ultimately be together and serve the story. Mm. So that's, oh, I can't believe I remembered all that. <laughs> I think something that's really interesting about your work is um just the the intimacy and I do think that um the the intimacy uh that I feel like a lot of scenes have with um the characters that really help the audience to connect to the characters Mm -hmm. and I you know think and I, I would assume you agree that a lot of that early work that you did um with you know, the rushes that weren't translated and really studying faces and the human condition and, and capturing these nuances that are often very subtle in terms of expression, like a moment of hesitation or a, mm-hmm. or a moment of, of self-doubt or a, a, a turning point of conviction, like just but very, very small nuanced um, moments that you really capture and, and play with. And I think um, that's something that gives you this very intimate um relationship with the characters whilst also being able to um explore much bigger issues Mm -hmm. um and to feel a connectedness to it and I thought um you know the emotions in this this next sort of film that I want to talk about are not are not so subtle Mm -hmm. it's a big story um but I just uh thought it would be really good maybe before we show this clip of um, Concerned Student 1950 if you just want to give us a little bit of a precis into the actual um, the film itself and also the first version of this scene that you saw um, edited not by yourself. (laughs) This was um, so this film is a short film it's about or long short film called Concerned Student 1950 and it takes place, it, it follows a group of undergraduate or graduate um, level activists at University of Missouri, which is in the center of, it's in the Midwest, in the center of the U.S. It's a public university, um, kind of bordering on the southern states. And um, a group of students decide to start protesting, stage a series of protests um, against you know, a number of, of um, racially motivated incidents that had been taking place for several months at that point. And one student, Jonathan Butler, who was a grad student, went so far as to actually um, start 
um, a hunger strike. And so the students were around him were, were um, continually staging protests starting at homecoming where they stopped the homecoming parade and confronted the school's president there, which kind of then led, oh, that actually led to the hunger strike. Um, and so really the, the, um, the protests and the hunger strike took place over a period of eight days. And every day the students were disrupting classrooms or they were uh, going around campus. And uh, they were calling for the resignation of the school's president, which actually happens a fair amount in, you know, you know, different, you know, university protests. And it never really, nothing really ever comes of it, except in this case, it actually did. They were successful in um, getting their university president to step down. I followed this story independently of, of in the events independently of, of this film, but as it was going on, uh, three undergraduate uh, journalism students were at the school, uh, decided to start shooting, and they got access to the to the protesters, to the to the student activists, and they followed them over the entire week, and then its aftermath. And it got to the point they they were editing with their film professor, and they decided it got to a point where they were. Um, they were actually picked up by this uh, short cinematic nonfiction site called Field of Vision, which was uh, founded by the director Laura Poitras and the um, former programmer Charlotte Cook. And uh, and so it was kind of a big deal, you know, that these you know students were were going to be having this film, you know, on the site eventually. So they decided to bring in an editor, and that's when I came in. And so I looked at the cut. And I, I basically was like, okay, I know the events. I follow the story. I'm on these kids' side, but there is just there. I, I, I'm so distanced from, from even though I know what happened, and 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 I was in favor of, um, of you know, I supported the, the student activists. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't have enough context. I didn't feel like I was there, and I was actually quite distanced by. Uh, by um, what I saw, so I talked to the stu- to the directors about this, and um, and then we worked out a way to sort of ground the scene in a in a different way. And so this is the final version of of it, and um, this takes place in the middle of the week following a series of protests with the student activists. I f- I actually feel quite emotional because I find that scene it's just actually it's really incredible the irony of you saying that the earlier scene that you didn't feel that you know that sort of connection is a real testament to how you built that in terms of this um you know this tension that's just brewing and then this pain and anger and then this sort of sense of catharsis which is just such a skill um congratulations sorry it's also been a very long conference <laughs> it's true amen to that um but yeah please you know share share with us that process of um where you started and how how you reconstructed that scene to to achieve that yeah. result um, I want to give a lot of credit to, uh, I hate, I hate saying that there were students who, 
who shot this film because I think that that potentially undermines their in, tremendous instincts as filmmakers just out of the gate. I, I wouldn't have been able to... The film wouldn't have come together the way it did if they hadn't... If they didn't have the material that they did. So, you know, in a way... It, and this happens to me all the time. You know, something just is missing a lot in the cuts that I come across or that even that I'm cutting. But there's something there, you know, in the footage. It's, it's you know, it's just a process of uncovering it. And... I think that it's, as an editor, it's my responsibility to put as much life on the screen as possible. And I think that that kind of comes back to why I love faces so much and why I love, you know, humor. You know, I think that that's a great, you know, levity or it provides levity for these situations. And so when I was talking to my directors about my perspective and how I felt so pushed away. It was because, you know, they were there and their experience was that just living it was that it was just really amped up, you know, and, and they were, they, it was incredibly emotional for them. They kept telling me it was so emotional to be there. And, um, and I believed them, but as an outsider, only looking at the four walls of this, film, um, I only felt like I was being yelled at all the time and I really just wanted to get close and my directors agreed. And so we came up to, we came to this agreement that we would try weaving in these interviews that they had shot with the students to get to know them throughout as a way to kind of break up the protests, especially the early one, but to connect, you know, a point of view with the face in the crowd. So it's not just this mass of students, but it's it, these are individuals who who are putting something on the line, who um, you know, and, and that creates stakes for the film, and 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 who are taking a tremendous risk, and um, and not only that, but we also just you know sort of structured it so it was you know tension and release and tension and release, and so you get you know um, there's there's a you know, protests, and then the students kind of come together. Oh, actually, it even that section even starts off with a prayer, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then there's a protest, and then, you know, they come together, and they, you know, they're planning, and there's, so there's a sense of intimacy there. Um, and then at night, you know, they're in their camp, you know, and I love that because you just get this great sense of being there, and they're kids, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, these sort of, like, fa- nameless, faceless ag- agitators. Um and then, and then that kind of leads up to the next morning where, you know, a, a student is, you know, kind of tiptoeing out of her tent. And I love, I purposely just left um, um, one of the director, Kellen Haley Marvin's voice in there just to establish that there's trust and a relationship between the director and, and you know, the, the characters in the film. And then that, you know, kind of, you know, cleanses your pal- palate a little bit. And then, you know, just this final protest, you know, builds and then another moment of catharsis where they're all outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was our, you know, sort of vision moving forward with it. And, and, you know, and I, that's what I love about, you know, 
working with a director is that, you know, the director has their lived experience and their, their sort of worldview about a film and I have mine. And I think that our task is to, as collaborators is to, you know, try to figure out where to meet in the middle, you know, and to listen to each other and hear, and, and I'm very, I love this, um, talking about the sequence as an example of that. Um, Aaron has kindly um, prepared some sort of tips um, yeah. that she would like to share with us um, that are about her process and it's great to see so many editors in the room because I think you'll really appreciate this. So we'll just go through some slides and feel free to take notes and we can ask some questions after. Yeah. Okay. So sort of just kind of going off of what we were just talking about with Concerned Student, uh, you know, the first one is just in general, when I'm starting out, I always think that the editor is the first audience. Um, you know, I our editing schedules in the U.S. are a little bit longer than I think here. It's It can take anywhere between six months to a year to edit a film, sometimes longer, sometimes less, depending on you know, where you're coming at in the process. But I ideally really like to start out by immersing myself in the footage and watching all of the dailies or rushes. Um, and I write down everything that I'm feeling. So just kind of like going back to the, you know, early logging situation, I just don't want to take for granted that I'm going to remember how I felt. And so I just really try to remember what it was like to watch something for the first time because I'm always going to come back to that because my point of view is the audience's point of view. Um, and then so I write everything down and I, I rank my reactions. I do that in the form of markers. Uh, red markers are, I love this, this is crucial, it has to be, it's funny, um, it's, it's emotional, you know, has to be in the film. There aren't as many of those as there are maybe green markers or it's good. And then um, this is really solid information or this is really, you know, this is great, but, you know, we'll see. And then even just like blue markers are, you know, um, interesting maybe storyline or something to come back to or keep in mind, but probably not going to go in the film. And then I make uh, selects as I go and work off of those. Um, I wish I would have reworded this, <laughs> um, but kind of referring back to the conversation, I, the punchline is, is the conversation is with your director is like a houseplant. You have to keep feeding and watering it or else it will wilt and die. Um, but, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, collaboration and, and for me, I think actually my favorite part of editing and, and I think, why I continue to edit is for the conversation with the director, you know, and it starts with um, the moment, you know, they contact me about working with them on the film to the first meeting and, you know, establishing a rapport, um, how we want to work together, and we just take it from there. I, I love it. I, you know, most of editing, I, a lot of editing, I should say, takes place away from the keyboard, and that's when you're talking to your director. Do you even love the moments when you don't agree? Yeah, yeah. I do. I, th I think because, you know, you have to learn how to um, disagree and argue productively, mm. you know. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, hopefully you're both really passionate about the film and, and that's, you know, you're both trying to serve the story. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you just kind of tuck an idea away so that way you can bring it back later and you don't want to beat it 
you know, de a dead horse too much or else mm -hmm. they'll hate that idea when you bring it back. <laughs> um, and then if you're overwhelmed where, with where to start for me, I find the moments that grab me, that feel essential, and I start building those scenes. Um, I start, I, some editors start in the beginning. I like to start with what interests me. And I just, I don't worry. I say, don't sweat the connections between the scenes. Don't worry about transitions. Don't, you know, if you have set up for a moment, that's fine. But just really like, don't think about the outcome. Don't think about a finished film. Start with what interests you or what's critical. Embracing uncertainty is really important to me. Uh, being willing to experiment and fail is really important to me, especially early on, because I think this is a moment of just tremendous potential. Um, and there's just so many different ways you can go. And so, you know, something that is a failure can actually lead to really interesting and even better ideas. Um, take all of your scenes, assemble them and watch with your director. This is terrible. <laughs> it's just not a fun experience at all. And how is it when you're watching it with um, two directors who are also oh. subjects of the film and oh, parents man. of the subject of your <laughs> film and you have a 33-hour assembly? Well, you know what? It was um, – uh -huh. hold on. It's an opportunity for uh, for us. It, it For us, it was um, – I mean, it was unbearable to watch 32 hours together, but really it was what the, the point of that exercise was one to build institutional memory um, of our scenes and all the potential things that could be in the film. But the other thing was, is that it was a huge pivot point for us because at that point, I think, you know, the directors were still thinking that it would be a very school focused film, but what actually emerged out of that screening or, you know, series of screenings was that this was the, the most compelling stuff and the most um, riveting part of the story was was the family stories. And and it really felt like it was at the end of the day, a film about parenting, which is why, you know, I say, what is your film about? It's about these two families who send their boys to, you know, an elite white private prep school in Manhattan, but it's a really a film about parenting and it's really a film about, um, the parents' desire to have the world see their sons as they see them. So then, you know, you continue to progress and you screen the cut to outsiders, which I call your come to Jesus moment. It's sort of a, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's a test and, and, um, you know, but you still want to be open. You want to listen to what works and what doesn't work. You know, to a point, I think, you know, you have to sort of balance this. It's this constant balance of courage and caution. You know, you don't want to chase notes, but you want to listen to people, you know, who feel that there's something off about your film. And people are generally right uh, that there's something not quite right about something, but it's usually not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily right about what's wrong, if that makes any sense. Well, it's also at that point, you know, when you talk about, having that moment to look through the rushes and why it's so important to look through rushes as an editor because at that point you're very objective, the footage is new, you have that that, that first impression that is very hard to get back mm -hmm. um, after you've seen it and I think then once you've been editing the footage for so long, it's again then stepping outside of that and having yep. someone who's never seen that, that edit before come in and give you that objective perspective that you – it's so – 
easy to lose. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really valuable input, you know, and, and, you know, even if you don't necessarily take the notes, I think it can still kind of, and actually notes can, great notes can come from anywhere really, but it's still an opportunity to have, you know, get used to seeing it with people and, um, and to maintain some kind of perspective as you were saying. Um, be a fierce advocate for your characters. I mean, I think I, I kind of always inevitably sort of, um, kind of fall in love with, with, uh, the people in the film. And, and I feel, I dream about them. I think about them. I talk about them like my, my, they're my friends, you know, and, and, um, they bump into them at the supermarket and think that you know them really well and then remember <laughs> that they don't know you at all. Um, I have seen some around town and it was a little weird, you know, I felt like I had a little secret, you know, yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it is. And it's weird. Like you don't, I try to not, you know, go nuts when I act, if I do meet a character, someone in a film, but, um, but they become a part of my life. And, and, um, you know, I, I want to, you know, it's a responsibility to advocate for them and to, yeah, just, uh, tell their story responsibly. Just for good measure, fail some more. Be humble and serve the story. That kind of, you know, kind of goes back to what I was talking about. Just, you know, with American Promise, for instance, that was a huge lesson. And just in that, you know, just, um, you know, we're all here to serve this story. And find your people. Mentorship is really important to me. I am self-taught. I didn't go to film school. But I had really, I really lucked out in terms of having really incredible mentors and, and, you know, people that I still, you know, call to this day to have look at my films and whose feedback that I, that I value. But also I want to say that mentorship isn't just, you know, learning from someone how to edit or, you know, getting someone's feedback. It's also friendship. These are people that I have relationships with whose families, I'm a part of their family. They're part of mine, you know, and, and we meet for coffee and, or, you know, or whatever, but we stay in touch and, and, and then outside of mentorship, you know, community is, is so important too. I mean, who are your collaborators? Who are your friends that you can call to, you know, borrow a camera or, or any kind of equipment. Um, who are your friends that will come and give you trusted feedback, you know, when you're stuck on something, you know, so, so find those people and just never let go. So that's, so that's the end of these slides. Those are my, uh, that's my process and sort of things I've learned. That's enormously helpful. I think it's probably a good idea to open it up to questions from the audience now. I think I'm sure that that's prompted a few Curious minds, just put your hand up if you would like to ask a question and we can get the mic to you. You're all shy now because you've been using the app. No one's had to speak out loud in public. <laughs> um, do you cry in the edit suite looking through your footage? Because I have and the work that you just showed us before, particularly that last piece, was so incredibly emotional I could imagine you um, needing a box of tissues. Is that true for you? Yeah, I, I do actually. I, um, and part of it is because I spend so much time 
with people and 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 uh, with the footage, uh, you can't not you can't not spend that much time with someone and and not be and walk away unaffected. I think and um, I do. And uh, last fall, I was working on a film that is about a notorious rape case, and the at one point in the film, there's a protest. This is sort of like in recent years, like a recurring theme for me, but, um, there's a protest and people are telling their stories, um, around sexual assault. And this, I was editing this scene in the midst of, um, all of the stuff with, uh, Harvey Weinstein kind of coming out. And it just, it really, I was very surprised. I was very taken back by my reaction to it. And um, I think I cried for like two days straight. <laughs> it was just a mess. Um, but, you know, I I think in those instances, when I'm really connected to something, I just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to lean in and, and listen to what your footage is telling you and and kind of in a way, like in a weird way, like where it wants to go and it guides you, I think. But definitely. I laugh all the time, like, you know, like I'll like ugly cry laugh with my director over stuff or, you know, it's just, it's a nonstop roller coaster. Hi, Erin. Hi. Hi, Uh, Will. I have a question about your line about being an advocate Mm -hmm. for your subjects. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? And I guess, uh, and what is an appropriate way to fall in love with your characters without creating some kind of uh, bias towards one particular point of view or not? Yeah, I'm, oh, sorry. I think, um, what was the first part of your question? Remind me. About being an advocate. Being, advocate. being an advocate for you. I think, um, you know, I think it's a balance. I mean, I think that there's, there have been times where, you know, there's... Um, you know, just something about a person in a film that just maybe would have taken an audience like way off track, you know, just something about them that, you know, just doesn't belong in the film. Um, But maybe I think this happens a lot. Like, you know, it feels like it'll complicate their character or something like that or round them out. But in fact, it's like, you know, and actually, I'm, I'm actually thinking specifically, not of a film of mine, this happens to me too, but uh, of a friend of mine who made this film called Same River Twice. And there was a character who was a little bit of, you know, a stoner, but they didn't include it because just, and even though it's a film about hippies, aging hippies, they didn't include it because it just didn't serve the story. And I think t- that sort of answers the next part of your question, which is like, you know, you don't want to create a a hagiography of any kind because I think that that just doesn't feel honest there isn't a kind of emotional honesty there but at the same time you know what does somebody you somebody trusted you to come in with a camera and to tell their story so I think like you know um you don't want to just lay it all out there I think it's a process of kind of curation and what serves the story
just I think we've got two people with mics here. Hi, um, those tips for uh, editors was really great and um, for me I've always edited my own stuff but I've just recently had the experience of working with an editor as a director and um, I found it really hard to get to communicate what was in my head so I thought maybe uh, you might have tips for the directors and how they should work with editors and Nat Natasha you might as well as an editor and a director. I do have oh. some tips. I agree with you. It's very. It's if you've edited, it's very hard to sit back and work with it. If you, if yeah, you've, yeah. If you have edited before and then you are in a situation as a director working with an editor, I found it so difficult. I had to sit on my hands the entire time. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think that first of all, it's just so important when you're when you are. I don't know. I've uh, well. I was going to say when it's so important that when you're first talking that you really need to ask each other what how how you like to work and so it's it, it's it's your responsibility to know how you like to work what works for you and what doesn't and you have to say that because that gives them options and an opportunity to respond and they have to know the editor has to know how they typically like to work and I think that that discussion will one, give you a sense of whether or not you're going to be a good fit. And I think if you have been editing your own stuff, you would you should know, it's helpful to know if you um, want to be a part of the editing process or if you don't. And um, and I think it's that's very important to communicate to someone, you know, just because I've, and I've worked with directors who are also editors or who also have edited and to varying degrees of success. And um, you know, usually I, I don't mind so much, especially if it's easier for them to, I think, to just express an idea mm. through by, by showing, but there's a, a level of respect there where they're not just going to take whatever I worked on and modify it and send it back to me. Like, I just like it like that, you know? Um, you know, so, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's nice when, you know, we talk about it and they, they're like, you know, I, I really just want to take a pass at this. Is that all right? Or, you know, and I, that's fine because I think they're a good editor and I think that there's something of value that could add value, um, to what we're doing. And maybe it's just because I, I've kind of like loosened up a little bit with my experience since my experience on American promise, but, um, you know, so I, on my end, try not to be too proprietary, but, um, I think it, that's really key and just, you know, it's helpful to, I think in, in, I think in any case, whoever you're working with, whether it's a composer or, or an editor, I find it's helpful to talk really sort of on emotional terms. You know, what, what do you want to feel? What should we be feeling in this scene? I think that that's sort of, you know, off the top of my head, those are really great starting points and in terms of how to work together and how to communicate. Hello. Uh, so thanks a lot for sharing your valuable experience. Uh, it was really great to listen to you. Uh, would you mind elaborating on this point that you mentioned, just for good measure, fail some more? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, um, I think it's just, you know, you're always, you just don't get it right until 
you have to lock or, you know, or you get to the point where, you know, your, your ideas are finally kind of crystallizing and, and, you know, things are kind of coming together. But it, I was just kind of being a little tongue in cheek there, but, um, but like, I feel like toward the end, you know, it's kind of in reference to like my feeling toward the end where there's, I, I get to a point where every cut is like with the director and even with people who come and give notes are like, it's so close, you know, and you can live in that space for a month, you know, or, or more sometimes. And it just feels like you're just like, oh, you are still, I thought we were close, you know? So that's kind of what I'm referring to. Do you feel like your your part in the process of the film is complete when your um, work is done or more that you've run out of time? Like, do you think you could always tinker if you were given more time? Have you ever had a situation where you've just like, that is it, last frame, perfect, don't need to touch it, <laughs> done, complete? No, <laughs> no, there's, I mean, it's there's always, uh, you know, the, the obstacle of time and, and, um, and deadlines and, and everything like that. And I think that that's actually a healthy thing for sure. And, and, you know, the more you tinker, the more you can actually end up damaging something. And so, uh, there's actually this thing, I forget who said it, it's that films are never finished. They're abandoned, you know, so it's, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's always interesting to revisit my work because I'm like, oh, I would, you know, I'm, my editor brain just never really shuts off, mm. you know. Um, th- thank, thank you for sharing all of oh, those. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing all of those techniques with us. They're really, really profoundly helpful. I had a similar question just continuing off of um, being a, edit- a director with an editing, you know, editing my own experience. Uh, stuff typically and then working with an editor how do you um how would a director best communicate with an editor when it comes to finessing tempo and things like that without coming across as overbearing or um Mm -hmm. you know taking away the autonomy from the editor with pacing and tempo and things like that Mm, um yeah i mean i i think that uh you know it's, you know, you, you can just sort of say, it's helpful to sort of say, just discuss it as, you know, it's your point of view, you know, this is how you feel about it. It so it's not like you're saying like it, you know, this needs to be shorter. Your feeling is, is that it needs to be shorter or the tempo, the pacing needs to be different and why, you know? And I think that it's, if you phrase it, I think it's helpful to phrase it in the form of a discussion, you know, and it, it's again, like, you know, um, idea response you know reaction and things like that and I think that that's an open way to approach you know communicating with someone um you know and and I mean sometimes you know I don't know I really rarely ever had the the experience where the director's like well it's my movie you know um Mm -hmm. it's probably like the last thing I ever want to hear but you know I think it's also you know, important for me to just be, like I said, like be open, you know, and try something because it may not be right, but it may lead to something else. And that's what's always in the back of my mind. And that's also something that you could, you know, potentially say, you know, that maybe this isn't, I want to see where this, I want to see where this takes us, you know. And can we try this? I think that's something else that 
I've learned over the years is rather than, and I have been guilty of this, we need to, you know, I, th- I think this scene needs, it, it needs to be pacier or it needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm putting forward my own stylistic desire but not really communicating why I think it needs to be like that or, you know, the reverse, I think this scene needs to be more languid because I think we need to hold and we need to sit with the emotion and we need to, you know, see where that goes and um, similarly when I'm trying to work with, uh, musicians or composers and not having that language like mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say in terms of you know bars or a particular instrument that I can hear that I want taken out or I f- you know and it, it, I found it really difficult and I was speaking to a, a composer friend who just said don't try and talk about the instruments or don't try and use um, musical terms or, or language just tell me what you want to feel exactly that's that's and then once we worked that out it was like oh yeah good okay yeah same it's like you know I try I try to not be a musician because I I don't want to offend them but also you know so I just communicate in emotional terms and I think that that can be that can apply to you know working with an editor Mm. you know just because I think that they can kind of take it from there you know the editor or the composer for instance and you know, you're allowing them space to have a response to your direction without necessarily, you know, maybe even me being like, I don't like that bass, you know, that, that bass or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Oh. Hi. Um, I was wondering, I guess one of the biggest challenges I often have is getting a bit lost in the footage um, in terms of in like trying to f- pinpoint the right story to follow mm-hmm. do you when you're looking through 300 hours of footage do you ever think like wow there's so many so many different options um how can I get clarity or do you have strategies that you get clarity just even daily strategies like practical strategies to take a step back almost yeah um I think it helps to yeah because you can get completely lost and I think like you know, um, especially when you're first starting out, I think it helps to kind of keep in mind, you know, some of the discussions that you've been having with your director and and listen to them talk about their film and talk about what the story is. And I think that that's kind of a good reference point to kind of keep in the back of my mind when I'm working is like, okay, you know, this is a film about, you know, and so I sort of try to gauge footage that would speak to, what that you know what the you know vision for the film is um and then and then um you know when I'm further down the road and I'm just like really you know kind of fried I'll actually export certain sequences or scenes and I'll bring them home because you know sometimes just watching at your desk is work and walk watching from home is pleasure and taking them out of uh, like watching them as an export as opposed to in the yeah, edit program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, watch them on my TV at home. And that allows me to kind of just step back and I'm watching it in a different environment. And that can actually kind of help change my perspective too, you know? Um, sometimes even just bringing someone, if I'm working by myself, you know, just this is why I say notes can come from anywhere. Good notes can come from anywhere. I'll like grab someone and I'll be like, I'll be like, you come over here and just, just sit next to me. And someone's presence even just sitting next to me can sort of sort of change my awareness mm-hmm. of something and I'll just kind of talk and and allow them to be a sounding board and and then that'll unstick something you know 
going for a walk, you know, <laughs> um, or, you know, even if you're, if you're really stuck, it's, it's Thelma Schumacher said, it's okay to turn off the computer and try again tomorrow. Have we got maybe just one more question, if that's okay, because I think we need to wrap yeah. up. Um, I just had a question. Um, you said you work uh, with scenes as opposed to transitions. And um, I guess when you're editing, do you look for that kind of the pivotal scene in your film that maybe is the turning point or the beginning of the film? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, and I come to kind of, I come to transitions later. It just, just not initially, you know, cause I'm just trying not to fine tune it so much because you, you don't want to overly work your material when it's, you're such a, it's such an early stage in the process. Cause I think you risk potentially undoing a lot of mm-hmm. stuff and, um, sort of overly determining material. Um, yeah, so definitely I, I, I find that uh, when I'm sort of just trying to look for a starting point, it's helpful for me to just start with the pivotal scenes and things that I know that are critical to the narrative uh, that have to be in there. And I think that that just even like kind of building those will kind of start, you know, generating new ideas and, you know, you know, and where I want to go next, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, for me and some people start, I, I, there's this wonderful doc editor named Kate Amend and she starts at the beginning every time. I don't know how she does it. She's a wizard, but usually she gets it right, you know, after a couple of tries and then, but she likes to do that because she feels like she's establishing the frame of her story. And then that's her reference point to come back to, you know, um, in terms of building the rest of the narrative. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. I think I, I would love to, sh- oh, we got one more question. Have we? Um, thanks for the um, discussion. It's been really invaluable. And it's so great to talk about editing purely um, with a documentary focus, which is what's so terrific about this session and this conference. But um, I loved your... Co- I'm sort of... At my question was around what was just asked, really. I loved your take on start with what interests you, and I think that's very hard for... I work with a lot of students in editing as well. Where do you start, and particularly with documentary? And you talked about arcs and story arcs and, you know, drama and documentary, you've still got to have the story arc. But but really, I mean, every film is the same, but beginnings and ends are so important, particularly mm-hmm. with documentary, and I'm just interested in your take on that. And you sort of said it then, that you start with, you know, certain things will bring you back. To start at the beginning beginnings of documentaries are so hard you might start at the beginning but how many times re-edit it but what's oh, your take on thousand. that Aaron? So, you know, that first yeah. five minutes is so pivotal no it's true and I, I I you know I'll have some sort of like and at some point I'll take kind of a stab I'll see something that's like oh this is a this might be a good place to start so it's not that I completely avoid it or anything like that but um it for me it's always the last thing that I go back and and do and or it's the thing that I that I do last I think it's um I'm I'm still working on it all throughout but it's like you have to it's it's like you have to get the middle right in order and and then you can go back to the beginning because you know where you need to land so you're setting up exactly Mm. exactly yeah you know what you how you need to set it up and you can I I edit openings over and over and over again. I mean, that's the editing is re-editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Th- thanks for that. Yeah. 
I just wanted to end with a clip because I still feel quite emotionally fraught from that <laughs> earlier clip. Um, and I thought this would be a really lovely one to, mm. to end on. So if we could just cue the last clip. I imagine for you this would be a little golden moment because it's just such a great meta reference for editing. So let's just play this and I'm sure a lot of <laughs> Please join me in thanking Erin Casper for this masterclass. I know you all would have got a lot out of it, as did I. So thank, thank you. you for coming. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.